From him who loves us and has freed us and, and made us to be a kingdom and priests, his holy family, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, dear Christian friends. Last week we kicked off our, our series called The Death of Me. And, and throughout this series, we want to keep in mind a really important point. It's the, the purpose behind it. It's the motivation. And it came from the section of the Bible that we looked at last week. It's, it's subtly connected and reiterated as we move forward, but it's, it's obviously stated by Jesus in Mark chapter 8. So let's just read that one verse one more time. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Right? He says, must, right? Right before this, Jesus had said, he must suffer and die and rise again to make the payment for sin. And now he says, if you want to be his disciple, his follower, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross. Things that are painful. Things that are, are difficult. These are, are not easy to do, but but if you notice, Jesus didn't make them optional either, right? This is what his followers, his disciples do. And I'll tell you, today is going to be that. Difficult, painful maybe even. And here's why. Because this is the thing today that our society and our culture says is the most important. It's the thing that you work so hard for. That you get up early, that you stay late, that you pour out your time and your energy. It's the thing that this world says and worships as being the best and the most important. And that's exactly why it's so dangerous. Because all around us, everyone else says this is what life is all about. And that temptation lives in our hearts as well. And that's why we need to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow Jesus and put to death our wealth affair. Now, if you notice, I didn't say our wealth, right? Jesus nowhere ever says that wealth is a, a terrible thing in and of itself. In fact, it's a gift from God. He is the giver of all good things. Jesus repeatedly, we heard earlier, right? He, he said the love of money, not money. And it's important that we understand that, right? He never condemns wealth or having money. What he does do, probably more often than you think, and maybe even than you want to know, is address wealth and specifically wealth in connected connection with our hearts and our attitudes and how he wants us to use it well and wisely. Now, the reason I said this is a wealth affair is because throughout the Bible, God describes his relationship with us 
is a marriage. Right? Repeatedly, he, he describes himself as the groom, and we, his people, his church, are his bride. And he loves us dearly, deeply, unconditionally, beautifully. And in return for his deep and beautiful and unconditional love, we cheat. We chase after other loves. And we think that he doesn't know. We, we figure we can get away with this. We can love other things. And, and as long as we come back and we're here next Sunday, he won't care. And that is just simply not true. Just like an affair in a marriage would have horrendous, a horrendous impact. So a wealth affair has a terrible impact on our relationship with the God who loves us. And that's why Jesus is so clear. We need to put to death our wealth affair. Now today, we're going to take a look at a guy in the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing our, our look, our study through Mark, and we find a, a man who had an affair with wealth. The problem was, he never saw it. He was blind to the love in his heart. And that's why today Jesus wants us to take a hard and an honest look at our own hearts and see to what degree do we have, are we carrying on an affair with wealth in our own hearts. Let's take a look at where this text begins. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now Mark, as is kind of his custom, doesn't give a whole lot of extra details, right? He's, he's kind of the short, sweet, to-the-point gospel writer. But Matthew and Luke, they fell, fill in some some details about who this man is. Um, he's repeatedly referred to as a rich young ruler. Now, in Jesus' day, to be rich and young was a rare combo. Usually it took your whole life to, to build up wealth. And so for him to be rich and young, obviously he was highly successful in whatever he did. And we're told he's a ruler, likely not a ruler of a territory, but probably the ruler of a synagogue, one of the local Jewish churches. And to be a ruler of the church didn't mean he was the priest or like the pastor. It meant that he was in leadership, like a, a church president. He oversaw the business of the church. So he was, he was very successful. He was wealthy. He was young. He was well-respected to be in that position. He was clearly religious and moral and ethical. This is a guy who, like on the surface, he's got it all, right? I mean, if we looked at him, he's got everything. But he even knew he didn't. This guy who, who seemingly has everything knows that something is missing. We know that because he asks the question, he wants to know, where do I find this thing that I'm looking for? How do I get it? 
He went to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the the trouble is that this guy, and we're going to see this play out more clearly in the coming verses, the trouble with this guy is a trouble that we tend to have as well. He thought like we tend to think. It's our first takeaway today. It's that I want to think that good is relative. But good is actually absolute. Here's what that means. This guy came up to Jesus and called him good, right? Now, if he had meant, you are God, you're good, absolutely. You are God and you are are the Savior and you came to rescue me from my sins. That's what makes you good. True statement. But that isn't really what he meant. He wanted, he viewed Jesus as a wise and respected and good moral teacher. And that's why Jesus said, why do you call me good? Right, this guy, he viewed good as a relative thing on a, on a sliding scale. He viewed good as, as, you know, good is on this end and bad is over here. And, and good means that not so bad and 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 a little better maybe even than pretty good. And, and when we're talking about good, as long as really we're better than them, we're good. And Jesus said, that's not the way it works. Good is not this relative thing on a sliding scale. Good is absolute. You are or you are not. And that's why he said, there's no one that's good except God alone. God in his beautiful perfection alone is good. And to help this guy see that point, Jesus points the man back to God's law. Take a look at verse 19. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So Jesus reminds this man of the commands, right? He's a a synagogue ruler. He knows them. He's heard them before. And and the guy says, yeah, I know them, right? Now, this is what we sometimes call the second table of the law. They're the commandments that have to do with, with our interaction and our relationships with other people, Right? We've got the, the fifth commandment, murder. The sixth commandment, don't, don't commit adultery. The seventh commandment, don't steal. Eighth commandment, don't give false testimony. Uh, defraud might go with seventh, or it could go with ninth and tenth with coveting. Um, honor your father and mother, the fourth commandment. He covers them all. And, and the guy's response, yeah, I know. I've done them. What else you got? Right? He came to Jesus for an answer and Jesus pointed him back to the things that he thought he had already done. He wanted something more. And what we're tempted to do like this face palm, shake our heads, like, come on, buddy. You know what the problem is? That by nature we do the same. I mean, we stood up here 15 minutes ago and we said, I'm I'm sinful. And we admit that sometimes. But if I asked your spouse, how often do you admit that when you do something wrong, when you're wrong, how often do you admit it? 
I think the truth might come out a little more, right? There's this part of us that by nature wants to make sin less sin, right? We want to we bring the bar down on what sin actually is because then we're a whole lot less sinful. And when we're less sinful, you know what that means? We really are good because that's what we want to be, isn't it? We want to be good. And you know what happens when we're good? Well, our, our view of ourselves, it becomes inflated. Do you know what our view of Jesus becomes? Good teacher, tell me what extra thing I need to do because I've done all this other stuff. We don't really have a need for him. We just need that little extra bit of advice, that little extra guidance, that little help on how to deal with this, that little thing to push us over the edge to get eternal life because all the rest, well, I mean, we're pretty good, right? And the proof, well, look at our lives. Isn't that how we tend to view earthly success, worldly wealth and possessions? Well, God loves that person. God's blessed that person, right? I have a, a friend, actually, that um, he's been very successful in business. He worked hard, but he's been successful, and things just seem to kind of navigate themselves for him. And his sisters actually say, God just loves him a little more. Isn't that the way we think? That when we live the life that God wants us to live, that he gives us earthly blessings, wealth, possessions. And, and so the stuff that we have accumulated is validation that we are really that good. That was the way the, the thinking went back in Jesus' day, but I don't think it's really changed. I, I think that's pretty, pretty true still today. We tend to think because we make what the most important? Wealth. That in our hearts, wealth and possessions are, are king and therefore the thing that we need the most. If we are good in life, then God rewards us with the best thing that life has to offer. And that's a problem, isn't it? We think we deserve the stuff of life because we are good. Brings us to our second takeaway. That I view earthly wealth as God's reward for living a good life. Because I think wealth is that important. So what do you think? How should Jesus have responded to this guy or to us? A bunch of people with, with messed up hearts who, who look at, at the gifts God gives us as nothing more than a performance bonus. Who, who spurn the love that Jesus showed to us for just a, a momentary pleasure, short-term enjoyment. What would you do? Shake your head? Disappointment at just how clueless he and we are? Frustration? Both barrels of truth, right? At just how far short of God's law, of God's word, that you actually fall? Do you know what Jesus' response was to this guy and to us? 
The Bible says Jesus loved him. Not he, he felt love, but he loved him. In his heart, he, he loved him with compassion, and I just want you to know this. And so, because love isn't just a feeling, love is selfless action. Jesus did the thing that was the most important thing this man could ever have. He told him the truth in love. Take a look. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Not, you've done all this, buddy. You are way off base. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, because he had great wealth. Jesus made it really simple. Right? This man came to him with a simple question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is very simple. It's follow me. We heard that last week, right? It, it's follow me, and, but don't just follow me like walking behind me. Follow me with your heart. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Death to me. And the things that I view are important that, that God says are not. And, and the things that I want that God says, not, not now or not for you. And that was a problem, wasn't it? This guy, this rich young ruler, well, he wasn't willing to go there. He didn't want to give up what he had. His, his life right now was just too good. Even though what Jesus told him was the answer to his question, right? Even though what Jesus offered him was eternity, eternal life, he still wasn't interested. He couldn't give it up. And why not? Because he had a lot. Because he had great wealth. He loved what he had rather than the one who had given it to him. Because his wealth had become who he was. His wealth had become what he did, his purpose and his identity in life. Jesus offered him a new identity. He offered him a better purpose, one with an eternal reward. But what he had now was just too good. Is that the same for you? We looked last month at our, in our series in reset, resetting our identity. Jesus gives us this new identity, right? That we are perfect and holy children of God. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus. And I want you to, to think about, over the last month, is that how I think of myself? Is that how I view my identity? Is that the identity that I, I share and that I show? Or is my identity in what I drive? or in the things I have, or in how much I earn? Is your identity connected to the love that God has for you, or is your identity connected to what things can offer you? Is your purpose to follow Jesus, to know him better? Or is your purpose to chase after wealth and the things of life even if it costs you Jesus. See, Jesus wanted that rich young ruler 
to realize something very important, and he wants us to realize it as well. It's our third takeaway today. It's this broken idea that I think I can love God and wealth as long as I love God more. And that is not true. Jesus already addressed that. We heard that, right, in Matthew chapter 6. You can't serve, you can't love money and wealth, or money and God. You can have both, but you can't love both. There is only room in our hearts for one or the other. And Jesus wants us to realize how often we cheat. How often we chase anything and everything besides God. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not saying that all the people in here, if you really want to be Christians, you have to sell everything and live on 1%. Understand, Jesus was answering a question and addressing a specific person with this answer. As he often did, Jesus would see through the the surface issue, see through the question, and he would get to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter for this man, the matter of his heart, was his wealth affair, his love of money. Now maybe, though, these words are making you squirm a little, they're making you a little uncomfortable, that you're looking for a loophole, and if that's the case then maybe these words of Jesus are exactly what you need as well. Jesus really wants to hit that point home. So look what he says, beginning of verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Notice he dropped the rich part out. It just is hard. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Now, Bible commentators have have wrestled with this for centuries What exactly this means? How can this be possible, right? And they've tried to find like this ancient gate into a city that was called the Needle Gate and it was narrow and so the only way you could get a camel through was to unload it and and squeeze it through. When really, if you just look at Jesus' plain words, you understand his point. For an entire camel, it doesn't matter if it's one hump or two. This giant beast to go through the tiny little hole, the eye of a needle, It's not possible. And now you get what Jesus is saying. That is his point. Because for someone who trusts in their wealth, well, they look for money to solve their problems, right? They look for money to provide for them everything that they might want or everything that they might need in this life. Do you know who God wants us to trust for those things alone? Him. He wants that to be him, that we trust him to solve our problems, to guide us and help us. He wants him to be the one that we trust for all the good in this life. And when I trust in the stuff, well, I'm loving someone or something more than God, aren't I? 
And it's even worse when I tend to think that that's because I am oh so good. The disciples realize this is a problem, right? They're, they're finally getting it, right? A, a, a camel doesn't fit through a, a hole of a needle, the eye of a needle. That's not possible. So then who's getting into heaven? Who can be saved? And Jesus is, ex- finally, guys, you're getting it. If it relies and depends on you, neither the disciples then nor the disciples today, nobody's getting in. You can't. You cannot save yourself. No one is that good. No one can save themselves, right? Jesus even says that, uh, that with man, this is impossible. Our cheating hearts disqualify us, don't they? All of the times that we have chased after anything and everything besides God, God should leave us out of his kingdom forever. We simply cannot save ourselves. I want you to think of it like this. We tend to think that money can solve problems, right? So what if you took the amount of money that the richest guy in the world has Jeff Bezos, $188 billion as of today. And the, one of the richest guys, that's Bill Gates, $132 billion. You know what happens if you multiply them? There's a lot of zeros. That's 24 septillion dollars. Like that's an imaginary amount of money. Even Congress doesn't talk in terms of septillions. That is an insane amount of money and you know what? Even if you had that amount of money, you couldn't pay for one sin. Not one failing, not one lustful thought or greedy action, not one hurtful word, not one. Which maybe helps us realize what our relationship with wealth should be. Because when it comes to our sin, it doesn't matter how much of it you have, it's all worthless. Now, maybe you notice, though, Jesus didn't end the, the words that he spoke in response to his disciples with, it's impossible, right? He said, it's impossible for man. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible with God. The things we can't do, God does. He rescues us, he saves us, he forgives us. And how does he do that? Well, it costs something far more than even the 24 septillion dollars. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. No amount of money could have saved you or me. It required something far more valuable. It required the life of Jesus himself. The death of God to save us. Jesus, the the perfect and holy, sinless son of God with, with not a blemish on his record, not a defect of sin anywhere to be found, gave his life to wash away 
all of the things that you have ever done wrong. His blood has cleansed you from all of the times you have chased after wealth or possessions or anything else in this life. He has bought you with something that you can't ever pay back and that you don't need to because he gave it as a gift for you so that you would be forgiven. You would be saved and have eternal life with him forever. You and I, we couldn't save ourselves, but Jesus could. And not only Jesus could, Jesus did. That's our next takeaway. That Jesus paid the price I cannot pay to save me. I want you to look at how the Bible describes it. It's from 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace, right? The undeserved love of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, right? Think of the way that the Bible describes heaven. Streets of gold, right? Walls of, of ruby and silver, or rubies and gems and emeralds and diamonds and sapphires, right? And God uses these pictures because never in a million years in this world would that wall last one night, right? It'd be picked clean by morning. It's unfathomable. Nobody would have that much that they would just put up a wall around their city that's made of, of precious stones. But, but God describes heaven because it's so much better than we can imagine. And Jesus, he was rich. That's where he lived. That's his kingdom. And yet for your sake, he became poor. He came here to this world where we think we have so much. Where we do, but compared to eternity, it's nothing. He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus wanted you to be rich. And not just in the stuff you own or the income you earn, which come from him as well, but he wanted you to be rich in a way that you could never have in any other way. He gave you the gift the very thing that that man who had everything else wanted, Jesus gives to you. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. Peace with God. And look at how Jesus then applies that. In the last verses of our text. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last, first. Peter here hits it on the head with what Jesus has been saying. He wants, he finally starts to get it and Jesus drives the point home. Yes, yes, Peter, what were you going to do? Follow after me from city to city and village to village carrying your fishing nets? Leave it behind because following me is so much better. Follow after me even if it costs you the things of this life. The thing is though, Jesus doesn't ever promise he's going to leave us stranded, right? He, he tells us, I, 
you'll be provided for. It's not like he leaves us on the side of the road of life empty-handed. Notice what he says. That you're going to have more than you ever would have thought. I mean, think about it. In, in this community of believers, you have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and kids and grandkids. In this church family, you have 20 houses that you could find a place to sleep if your home burned down. In this family of believers, well, you have people who will give to you without looking for or actually even wanting you to return the favor. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? That's something you don't find just running into people or even coworkers or neighbors. And Jesus says, you will have that in this life. You will have far more than you ever would have just trying to go through life on your own. You actually gain by giving up. And with his last line, Jesus really drives that point home, doesn't he? The last will be first and the first will be last. There are a lot of people in this life that are first when it comes to wealth or beauty or comfort or fame. And they do it at the expense of Jesus. And they'll be first for a little while and then they'll be last for all of eternity. And then there are a lot of other people who are, are so far down the list they might as well be last when it comes to wealth and beauty and comfort and fame. But because of Jesus who makes us rich, who makes us beautiful by clothing us with his perfection, who makes us good and holy and all of these other things known to God himself, the world may see people who are last, but you will be first for all of eternity. And that's why Jesus wants us to understand when you give up for Jesus, when you take up your cross, you deny yourself and you die to the things that you think are important, the things that this world promises, when you die to them, you don't lose anything. You actually gain everything. Which is our last takeaway today. That following Jesus will be hard, but I cannot lose because of him. That if you put to death your wealth affair by the blood of Jesus, that you come out ahead in eternity. So, dear friends, keep your focus on where this man's question was, on what God really wants us to be focused on. Eternity. Eternal life with him. Keep your hearts and your lives focused on that thinking and living beyond just this moment and even beyond just this life. But for heaven... So deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, even if it means the death of your wealth affair, because it's totally worth it. Amen.